that. If you have your Bible this morning, if you'll turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. The 28th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. And again, let me just uh, once again thank you for making the time to be here this morning on a beautiful resurrection day. You know, yesterday the, uh, the weather wasn't quite this way, was it? <coughs> Uh, but that's Michigan, right? And uh, if you don't like the weather, you hang around for five minutes, it'll be different. But, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, can everyone hear me okay? It's a little bit soft as far as in my ears. Everybody hear me okay? All right. I know the dynamics change even based on the weather from Sunday to Sunday, and that's just the reality of it. But uh, I was thinking yesterday, and my wife and I were uh, inviting people for services today, and it was rainy and uh, I was soaking wet, even with the umbrella, amen. Uh, not much you can do about rain that comes this way. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but I was thinking about how gloomy a day it was, but what a difference a day makes between the gloom and the rain and the cold and the wind of yesterday to a bright sunshine morning today. And I think about also, you put that on a spiritual level, what a difference a day made for the disciples there was Jesus in the grave on Saturday and Jesus the risen Savior on Sunday. And uh, what a difference a day makes. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Matthew 28, if you'll stand with me please, give you a chance to stretch a little bit. Matthew 28, and if you'll stand with me please for the reading of God's Word. We'll read just six verses beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6 is our text. He is not here... For he is risen as he said. And notice the next line. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the testimony of an empty tomb. The testimony of an empty tomb. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments as we uh, try to impart the truth of the Word of God, the truth that sets this day apart from every other day. Uh, the truth that sets Christianity apart from every other so-called religion in the world is the resurrection of the founder of this religion. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to see that Christianity is not about a religion, it's about a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd reveal it to us afresh this morning. And I pray that your spirit would descend upon this place. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Today we commemorate the single greatest defining event, moment, of human history. You cannot overstate the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It defines not only time and human history, but it also defines eternity. You see, this morning I want all of us to travel back in time about 2,000 years to a location just outside the city of Jerusalem. And I know all of us have a little bit of an imaginative mind. And so if in your mind's eye, if you will, if you can transport yourself back in time, 2,000 years, I want us to 
all of us visit the scene that we're going to talk about. It's quiet now. The sun has just come up over the eastern horizon. And a few days ago, the scene was anything but peaceful. What was supposed to be the celebratory feast of the Passover had turned into an ugly, angry, malicious mob that were demanding that Jesus of Nazareth be crucified on a cross. And anyone who knew Jesus knew that he had done nothing worthy of death. Anyone who knew Christ knew that his testimony was he had spent three and a half years going from place to place and from person to person, and all he did was good. He touched blind eyes and made them see again. He touched deaf ears and made them be able to hear again. He met the, the, uh, the uh, crippled man by the pool of Bethesda. And when Jesus, by the time that, that uh, meeting was over, that crippled man was no longer crippled. The Bible says he, he got up and he took up his bed and he walked away. Jesus did that. Those were the kinds of things that, that characterized the ministry of the Savior here on this earth 2,000 years ago. And that's what he was known for. And so it doesn't seem right that on that day, angry mobs were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, put him to death, put him on a cross. He's worthy of execution. Anyone who knew Jesus knew better than that, for he had no crimes that he had committed. There were no sins, no iniquities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible tells us, for he hath made him to be sin who for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Now, everyone knew that, but the angry mob, as they cried out for the death of Christ, they stood before a Roman governor named Pilate. And Pilate, not willing to stand up for the unjust deeds, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not willing to, to stand up to the unjust demands of the angry mob, he reluctantly washed his hands of the whole matter and sentenced Jesus to the most gruesome death known to mankind at that time, crucifixion. The most grotesque, the most agonizing, the most humiliating death known to man was crucifixion. Just a few feet away from where we're standing in our mind's eye this morning is that hill called Calvary or Golgotha. It's the place where death was to take place. The nails, the crown of thorns, the mocking, the shame, the humiliation, all of that was about to transpire and it was about to happen to the most innocent of innocent people who ever walked on this earth. You see, Jesus did not die because of Jesus' sins, because he had no sins of his own. Jesus died, and Jesus went through the torments of Calvary. He went through the, 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 uh, the piercing of his nails, uh, of his uh, hands by the nails, the piercing of his feet by the nail, the piercing of his brow by the, the plaited crown of thorns. He went through all of that pain and all the suffering, and that was just the physical side of it. Because the Bible says in the verse that we just read a moment ago, he who knew no sin became sin for us. There was an element on the, that, that happened there at Calvary that day that nobody standing there could see with the naked eye because it was a spiritual battle that was being fought. It was a spiritual battle that was being fought for your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny. And Jesus fought that battle that day because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Beyond that, 
what no one else could see with the human eye, the suffering and the pangs of death and hell for all of us. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, the Bible says, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We're talking here about the Son of God. That's who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. He was the Messiah. He was God come down from heaven in the form of a baby in, a man, in Bethlehem's manger 33 and a half years before this story takes place. He, he never one time did anything worthy of death, never one time sinned because he was God in the flesh. And yet the Bible says he humbled himself. He humbled himself not only to become a man, but to endure the sufferings of Calvary to endure the shame of it and the humiliation of it and the sin of it. And he did it for you and he did it for me. He chose to go to Calvary. He submitted himself to every bit of suffering that he would endure. Why? I'll tell you why. Because of you and me. It wasn't his sin he was paying for. It was my sin. It was every lie I've ever told or ever will tell. It was every, it was every bad thought. It was every, uh, it was every uh, improper motive. It was everything I've ever done, every, every word that's ever crossed my lips that should not have come from my lips. Hey, he died for all of my sins. By the way, he died for all your sins too. And you take not only my sins and your sins, but the sins of every man uh, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, if we could fast forward in time, every sin that ever will be committed on this side of eternity, Jesus Christ on that day, 2,000 years ago, when he died and suffered and bled, he bore my sins and the sins of all humanity. Two men at the end of the day, Jesus is hanging there, he has given up the ghost. He has dismissed his spirit. By the way, Jesus was not killed. Are you with me this morning? No one killed Jesus. He said, I lay down my life. He humbled himself, the Bible says, and became obedient unto death. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't have to be obedient to death. He chose to be obedient to death. He chose to give his, his life a ransom for many, the Bible says. He chose to submit himself to death, but they didn't kill him that day. But the Bible says at the end of it all, when he dismissed his spirit, when he, said, when, uh, he uh, into, into the Father's hands, the Bible says, he dismissed his spirit. And when he was, when his, uh, when he was dead, when his body hung on the cross there, lifeless, two men came, one by the name of Nicodemus and one by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. And they carefully and lovingly removed his body from the cross. They took his body to a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was Joseph's own personal tomb that he had purchased for himself and for his family. And, uh, but Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus placed the body of Christ into that tomb. We draw closer in our mind's eye to that tomb, really just a hollow that was carved out of a rock, a cave, if you will. And we understand as we get closer to that cave, to that tomb, that at this point, all of the hopes and promises that Jesus made seem to be for nothing. All of the miracles and the teachings, all of the amazing things that he had ever said, I guess it's all over now. After all, what good is it if he's dead what good are all the teachings if he's gone what good is all the pro are all the promises if he's no longer there to fulfill them 
What good are all the, the, the people whose lives he's touched? Hey, that's wonderful. And thank God that the blind were able to see again and the deaf were able to hear again and the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda was able to walk again and Jairus' daughter had been raised again. But wait a minute. The, the one who did all of that, we just saw him die. We just saw him die a few days ago. What good were the promises of eternal life if the one who made the promises is now dead. As we approach the tomb, we notice something unusual. The, the stone that was set to close the opening of the tomb has been set aside. And so we step inside to take a closer look at what might have happened, and there we see nothing. <laughs> we see nothing. Hey, we see no body, we see no corpse. All we see is what the disciples saw when they saw when, when they were there, and that was the grave clothes that once bound the Savior, they were carefully wrapped and neatly laid there. But there's no body. There's no corpse. There's no, uh, hey, there's no Jesus there. Hey, we see the grave clothes and we, we see them folded neatly and set aside. We smell a hint of the aroma that was used to anoint his body, but there is no body to be found because up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And that's the story of Easter. That's the story of Easter. The fact that the borrowed tomb where Jesus' body lay for only three days and three nights speaks volumes for us this morning. In the text that we read a few moments ago, the angel said, hey, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Hey, come and see it. This is where his body was. This is where it was for three days and three nights, just like he prophesied. This is where it was. This is where, uh, this is where the blood uh, stains were. Hey, this is where his body lay, but no longer. You see, that empty tomb was a borrowed tomb because Jesus wasn't needed very long. There was no need for anyone to purchase a tomb for the Savior because, let's face it, you're not going to get a lot of use out of a tomb that you're going to have for three days and three nights. And so Joseph of Arimathea laid Jesus in, the, in his own tomb. I don't know if he knew the significance of it, but he does now. He does now. If that empty tomb could speak this morning... I believe it would testify of several things to us. And as we wind down the message this morning, I want to share those things with you. The testimony of the empty tomb. The testimony of the empty tomb. Number one, if that empty tomb could talk, it would testify that Jesus is truly God in the flesh. If that empty tomb could talk, it would testify of the fact, not fiction, not theory, the fact that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, God in the flesh. We can take a similar trip this morning to the remains of Muhammad, but remains are there. We can go to the tomb of Buddha, but remains are there. We can go to the founders of every other quote-unquote religion in the world, and remains will still be there. And the reason for it is simple. But <clears throat> Hey, I'm not here to disparage anybody this morning, but the simple fact is you put your faith in, in anyone else but Jesus Christ, and you're going to be disappointed because only Jesus was God in the flesh. And the reason why there remains in those other coffins and those other memorials and those other grave sites today is because simply they were just men. They were just men. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ screams out loud, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh just like he said he was. 
Because Jesus on that cross, yes, he became obedient to the death of the cross. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit of God raised up Christ from the dead. And he got up out of there out of three, after three days because it was not possible, the Bible says, for death to hold him. He's the Son of God. May I ask you this morning, what proof do you need? What evidence do you require? We serve a risen Savior. Hey, a dead God can't save you. That's the bottom line this morning. A dead God can do nothing for you. A dead God can do nothing more for you than, uh, than, than a piece of wood or a stone. There are uh, tribes all over this globe. There's religious uh, uh, systems all over the world that center their focus on a statue of some kind or a totem pole of some kind or a rock of some kind or a piece of concrete that's carved out somewhere or, 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 or some, uh, uh, some uh, piece of nature and they worship the, creature rather, uh, the, the creation rather than, than the creator. But let me tell you something. Unless you are putting your faith and trust in a living God today, you're putting in the wrong place. You're putting in the wrong place. Death uh, in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 24, the Bible says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Hey, the empty tomb gives a testimony this morning. You know what? I can't hang on to God. <laughs> death couldn't hold him. Always oh, submitted to death because it was, it was prophetic. It was, it was necessary for him to do so to fulfill salvation's plan. He who was innocent had to die for those of us who are guilty. And Jesus was our, our divine substitute on the cross and bearing our sins uh, in his own body on the tree. And he paid that penalty. But let me tell you something. Death could not hold him because he was the son of God. Number two, the empty tomb not only testifies of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but it also testifies of the fact that I can have victory. The empty tomb tells me this morning that I can be victorious. I can have victory. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gained an unprecedented victory against an enemy that up to that point was undefeated. Think about it. Death had never lost before. Death had never lost before. <clears throat> God came to Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned. And he said, well, actually, he told them before they sinned. He said, in the day that you eat of that fruit of that, fruit, that uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you're going to die. You're going to die. And the day came when Adam died. Adam's sons died. Their sons died. And their sons and daughters died. And their sons and daughters died. All, the, all down through the last 6,000 plus years, Man had always died, but up when it came to Jesus, huh, death lost his first one. Death lost his first one. From the beginning of mankind, ever since Adam, death had a perfect record, but Jesus changed all of that. He gained victory over death. He gained victory over hell. He gained victory over sin. He gained victory over everything that would wreck and ruin your life and my life. Jesus gained the victory over it that day. He was victorious over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Dave, uh, death could not hold Jesus Christ. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Not only that, I see this. 
Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to have victory over sin. Not only did Jesus give us victory over death. You see, because Jesus lives, I can live. Not only can I live today, I can live forever. We'll talk about that in more detail in just a few moments. But because Jesus gained victory over death, those folks who are, the Bible calls them, dead in Christ, the Bible says there's going to come a resurrection day for them as well. Those of us who have gone to the graveside of somebody that is, that, that's the dearest thing to, uh, uh, next to our own lives and laid them in a burial place in a ground somewhere, the Bible says that there's going to come a resurrection day. How is that possible, Pastor? Because Jesus rose again from the dead. The Bible says he was the first fruits of them that sleep. In other words, he was the, the very first to be resurrected. And because of him, we can be resurrected. Because he gives us the power to do that. He gives us, he'll he'll uh, quicken our mortal bodies, the Bible says. The empty tomb gives testimony of the fact that I can, I can have victory over death. But not only that, the, the grave, the tomb, the empty tomb testifies that it's possible for you and me to have victory over sin. Over sin. Let me just bring it down to where we all live. Because Jesus is alive this morning, you don't have to be a slave to sin. Because Jesus is alive on this April 21st, 2019, he made it possible for all of us not to be a slave to the bottle. Hey, not to be a, uh, not, not to be a slave to the filthy sites on the internet, not to be controlled by drugs. Hey, you don't have to be an addict. You don't have to be enslaved by sin because when Jesus died on the cross, he died, for my justif- he, he died to, to cleanse me from my sin and he was raised again for my justification. The Bible says, I do not have to be a slave to the filth of this world. That's not because I'm somebody. It's because he's somebody. Look, <clears throat> Christianity is not about turning over a new leaf. Christianity is not about reformation. It's about transformation. Christianity is not about, well, hey, okay, here I go. I'm going to church and I'm going to do better. (laughs) No, no, no. Christianity is about me giving my life to Jesus Christ and letting the power that raised Jesus from the dead empower me to be conformed to who Jesus is. It's about being transformed. It's about, hey, it's about salvation. And it's about, for those of us who are saved, it's about sanctification. Hey, I'm simply trying to get you to understand this morning that Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for me to have victory in my life. Victory. Romans 8, verse 11 says this, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Hey, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and it was the Holy Spirit of God that did the work in resurrecting Christ. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 11, that same Spirit dwells in us that raised Christ from the dead. Hey, what can He not do for you? The same power that raised Jesus out of the grave is the same power that lives inside of your mortal body today. You don't have to be a slave to sin. Number three, last thing I see this morning is this. The tomb, the empty tomb testifies not only that Jesus is the Son of God, it not only testifies that I can have victory, but the empty tomb, as we peek inside and see that there's no one there, tells me that I can have freedom from the penalty of my sins. 
I can have freedom from the penalty of my sins. You see, the payment for your sin and my sin is eternal damnation in the fires of hell. I heard someone say recently, well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in hell. That doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. Uh, so well, I, I don't believe in eternal damnation, eternal punishment. <laughs> well, then you'll have, to, you'll have to disagree with the omniscient one, <laughs> the one who knows everything. Then you're, you're in opposition to what God said. Now, understand something. Just because I believe something or don't believe something doesn't make it any more or any less true. The Word of God, the authority of the Word of God tells us that, yes, there is a heaven to gain, and as sure as I'm standing here that there's a heaven to gain, there is a hell to shun. The same Bible that teaches us that, that heaven has gates of pearl and streets of gold and walls of jasper and where, where people will live for eternity in bliss, the same book, <coughs> the same document, the same Word of God tells us that there is a hell, and those who die without Jesus Christ will spend eternity in a lake of fire. Same book. Same book. Now, the empty tomb tells me that I can have freedom from the penalty of sin. Look, follow me very carefully. No one likes to admit the fact that we're sinners, but that's exactly what we are. You're looking at a sinner this morning. In case you got your hopes up, coming to church to see somebody who is sinless preaching, <coughs> he's not here. I'm here. The only person who could stand behind that pulpit and say, I've never sinned, is Jesus Christ himself. But as much as it pains all of us to admit the fact that we're sinners, there's a Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for my sins and was raised again after three days so that my sin debt, the penalty for my sins, eternity in hell, could be taken care of. Jesus went through hell for you, my friend. He paid the penalty for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay it. Hey, I'm simply saying this morning, while what Jesus did for you and me was necessary for our sins to be paid for. But wait a minute. If there was no resurrection, the Bible says that if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. If Jesus is still in that garden tomb, our faith is baseless. That's what makes today so important. What makes Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, whatever you want to call it, really every Sunday is a little bit of Easter because it's every Sunday that we observe that Jesus Christ rose up out of that grave. But my friend, if Jesus be not raised from the dead, we have no salvation. That's what makes today of ultimate importance. Again, a dead God cannot save you. A Savior who has been conquered by death cannot impart life to someone else. The resurrection simply means this, is, uh, means, means this to all of us. We can live forever in heaven. I got good news for you this morning. If you're here and you have doubts about your eternal destiny, resurrection is the best news of all for you. It's the greatest news in all the world because it simply means we can live forever in heaven. Jesus Christ took his sins, or not his sins, he had no sins of his own. He took your sins upon himself. Jesus took my sins upon himself. Jesus took the sins of the whole world upon himself. Jesus <coughs> paid that sin debt for us so that we wouldn't have to pay the debt that we owe. You see, I owed a debt that I could not pay. We could have testimonies right here. How many of you have a debt that you can't pay? We won't even go there. <laughs> 
I had a debt that I could not pay. Can I tell you something better than that? He paid a debt that he didn't know. I owed a debt that I could not pay. He paid the debt that he did not owe because he paid my debt and he paid your debt. He took upon himself my sins and the penalty of my sins so I wouldn't have to. And then he rose again after three days to prove to everybody that he really was who he said he was, and that's the Son of God. What he did for you was necessary for your sins to be paid for. Hey, we can't live good enough to go to heaven. You say, I'm a good pastor, I'll have you know I'm, a, I'm an upstanding citizen. I'm glad you are, that's wonderful, but that won't take you to heaven. I'll have you know that I'm very charitable in my contributions, and I give to this charity and this charity and the other charity, and, and, uh, and, and I'm very philanthropic with my finances, and I, I try to help people, and I try to be good to people. That's wonderful, but that won't take you to heaven. Oh, but pastor, I believe that when we, get to, uh, when we pass from this life to the next, all of our good is going to be weighed against our bad, and if our good outweighs our bad, God will have mercy on us and let us into heaven. You'll find that nowhere in the Scriptures. That's not a biblical, hey, that's, that's unbiblical. That's not true. No, sir, you understand, the Bible says the wages of sin, singular, just one. The wages of sin is death. If I was such a good person that I could live my entire life and only violate God's law one time in, in, in my entire lifetime, I'd still go to hell for eternity. You know why? Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid for that sin. He paid that debt. Hey, we can't earn it. We cannot merit it. We can't inherit it from those who've gone before us. Hey, salvation's not something that, uh, I love what one preacher said, God has no grandchildren, just children. I know folks who say, well, you know what? Hey, my kids are saved because I've tried to bring them up right. That's wonderful. That's commendable. Y'all try to do that. But you, look, hey, kids, you can't get saved because your mom and dad are saved. You've got hey, you to come to know Christ for yourself. You've got to, you got to be saved for yourself. We can only receive it. John chapter 1, verse number 12, very simple verse. Jesus said this, but as many as received him, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You see, you'll not go to heaven because you're good. The only hope you have for eternity is to receive Christ. The only hope you have for life after this life is over, the only hope you have for missing that eternal lake of fire called hell, the only hope you and I have of, uh, uh, of having our sins paid for is not trying to outdo our sins by doing good. No, it's by coming to Christ, receiving Him as our Savior. The greatest day in my life was when I trusted Christ as my Savior. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. The greatest day that in the life of anyone in this room was the day that they understood, first of all, that they're a sinner, that their sin debt must be paid for, and the payment for sin is death and hell. Thirdly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again from the dead so that you could go to heaven to pay your sin debt and to offer you that free gift of eternal life that only God can give. And if by faith you're willing to receive Jesus as your Savior, He promises you eternal life. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2 says this, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God promises eternal life to those who receive Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Jesus Christ, 
The one who not only died on the cross and was buried, but three days later became triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Receive him as your Savior. That, my friend, is what Easter's all about. It's what Easter's all about. Would you please bow your heads with me for just a few moments? We're just about done, and just a matter of minutes, we'll be on our way home. But I would be untrue to the Word of God if, it, if I did not give you an opportunity to respond to the truth.